You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. Let's read from Matthew 1, 18 to 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So, have you ever put yourself in Joseph's shoes? Now, being betrothed really meant being married at this time. Sometimes we get confused. It's like, well, it was kind of like they're engaged. No, they were married. They're not the same thing. For all intents and purposes, Mary and Joseph were married. After being betrothed, there was typically a time of anticipation awaiting the wedding ceremony. So here's Joseph waiting for the day when he would get dressed in his besties and invite his best friends and his family and have that walk over to Mary's house where she was still living with her parents. And then the wedding ceremony. And then the wedding celebration. Sometimes the celebrations would last a week long. That's a lot to look forward to. But then he's told that his virgin Mary, wife, is pregnant, and it's not his baby. So yes, Joseph was looking forward to this day, but hold the phones, his wife's pregnant. Now, contrary to what some of us have heard, she was not going to be stoned. Way back at the beginning of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy when the law was first given, yes, that was, that was the punishment for adultery, being stoned. By this time, things had evolved a bit, and divorce was a very common thing in a situation like this. But Joseph divorced her quietly, not publicly. So think about a public divorce. It's not a good thing, is it? be pretty messy think about divorce some of you are older 40 or 50 years ago and the stigma and the stain of divorce yeah it still hurts and it's still messy but not anything like it was when I remember when I was a kid a messy horrible divorce in some ways maybe it would have been worse than a stoning So Joseph has good intentions. He has good intentions to divorce her quietly. Matthew 1, 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph had good intentions, didn't he? He must have really really loved Mary. He was still looking out for her best interest. Yes, good intentions. Divorce her quietly. 
But like Lee Corso might say on a Friday morning in the fall, not so fast, my friends. You see, God's intentions were different. They were not the same as Joseph, so as good as they might have seemed, let's take a look. Matthew 1, 20 to 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, that's a game-changing message, isn't it? The angel tells Joseph his virgin wife, Mary, is pregnant with the Son of God. That's all. Thanks for the news, Mr. Angel. I got this. Until next time, see you later. And there, and there was a later. But that's exactly what happened. He believed the angel's message from God. Matthew 1, 24 to 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph's good intentions were not God's intentions. When I think of good intentions, I think of Saul. I think about what he went through. And I'm actually talking about Paul, who was Saul. And we read, and we read from his letter to the Romans in the 8 o'clock service. And it was simply a, a formal greeting to the believers in Rome. But what a greeting it was. Could this really be the same Paul, the former Saul, whose good intentions were to snuff out the Christians and this religious movement called the Way? This is Paul from Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Servant of Christ? called to be an apostle, set apart to proclaim the gospel of God? This is not the Paul that I remember from the beginning of the book of Acts. His good intentions were the complete opposite until Jesus got a hold of his heart and mind in a very special way on his road to Damascus. Acts 9, 1-2. But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And when they got to Jerusalem, I don't think it was going to go well for the followers of the way. You see, Paul, or Saul... He had good intentions. He was trying his best to uphold the Hebrew law, the Hebrew faith, the faith that he was sworn to as a Pharisee. Remember the summer we had a sermon on Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees, the Hebrew of Hebrews. Saul's good intentions were very different from God's intentions. 
But then Jesus himself intervened on that trip to Damascus. Acts 9, 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, what are you, what are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city. You will be told what you are to do. So that's exactly what Saul does. His wrong intention days are soon to be over. He sees the light quite literally. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, this intention to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus. How? By proving that Jesus was the Christ. Well, how do you like that? I'm not sure if someone's intentions could be changed any more drastically, any more radically. He went from trying to destroy Christians to raising up Christians. How about Joseph? From divorcing his wife to helping raise the Son of God. What about you? What about your good intentions? Are your good intentions God's intentions? Big question mark. This obviously looks different to all of us as we lead very different lives in this world. World is the key word here. Could our good intentions, could your good intentions possibly be worldly intentions and not godly intentions? And if yes, how? How do we even know? Well, the litmus test is easy, but changing our approach from worldly intentions to godly intentions, that's hard. Here's an example. Let's say, let's say that you are a dad, you're a father, you have uh, three kids at home, you have a lovely wife, and your good intentions are to work hard enough and long enough so that you can have a nice house, a, a nice car, probably nice vehicles, plural, big screen TVs, you name it. Everyone's got unlimited cell coverage. And you work about 50 hours a week, but that doesn't quite cut it. The bills are coming in. So you have another job on the weekend, part-time job. Good intentions, right? But when your son asks you to play catch, you're too tired. When your two girls want to go fishing, you're saying, I'm too tired. When you come home from work and your wife wants to tell her about her day, well, you're too tired. When it's time to go to church, you're too tired. Good intentions, right? 
not God's intentions. I'll give you a personal example. So, a couple years ago, I heard about this thing called the SMP program, the Specific Ministry Program, where someone can become a pastor and not having to go to the seminary, can do Lions on class and go with St. Louis every once in a while and, and, have a, and have a mentor, teacher. After four years, he might actually be a pastor. Well, I thought, that sounds a lot better than being a principal. So I got pretty fired up. Man, I can have my own church. I can preach what I want to preach. I can teach what I want to teach. And pretty soon, man, I'm going to have a church full of people. People are going to be patting me on the back. Pastor, you're awesome. Good intentions, don't you think? And then Pastor Snow talked to me. He's our, he is our district president. And I know Pastor Snow because his kids went to Luther and I Northeast in Norfolk, and I coached and taught all of his kids. So we got a good relationship. And he said, this is what I advise you to do. You get six free Christian counseling sessions from Grace Point a year. I really think you need to talk to somebody before you jump into this. So I did. And after about two sessions, it was very clear. Being a head pastor at a church was not God's intention. That was my intention. My sinful, selfish, unhumble, good intentions. That's why I'm standing here this morning. you got to put up with me for a long time. But just like that, good intentions. The world, the world is saying, think about all the pats on the back. For all of us, in all that we do, and it's very hard to be humble because in our heart of hearts, we're not humble. We're sinful. So how do we know what God's intentions are for us compared to what we think our good intentions are? So just take a minute. Just take a minute. Here's, here's the question. Take a little time. Are your good intentions God's intentions? Think about it. So what is the litmus test to figuring out this intention problem? Matthew 22, 37. And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. There it is. That's the litmus test, isn't it? 
Are there worldly things getting in the way of you putting God first in your lives? Loving him with all of your heart. Loving him with all of your soul. Loving him with all of your mind. Loving him with everything you got. Makes me think of my coaching days. Loving him with everything you got. So I was thinking about a basketball analogy, a football analogy, but I'm going to give you a track analogy. Has anyone, has anyone ever run a 400-meter dash, or if you're older, a 440-yard dash? There we go. Yeah. That's a hard race. It's one lap. Fast as you can go. So it takes a lot of training to get in shape. But then when race day comes, there's a strategy, isn't there? The first 100 meters, you got to get out of the blocks. you got to get going. you got to get your momentum going. And you're pretty much sprinting the first 100 meters. And then the next 200 meters, a cruise control sprint, right? And at about the 300-meter mark, your lungs are burning. Your legs, you can't hardly feel them already. And what's your coach going to tell you at that 100-meter mark? Give it everything you got. Right? There's no science left in that coaching. I think that even Olympic coaches say, give it everything you got. Give it all you got. There's your litmus test. Are you giving it everything you got in your walk with Jesus? Or are the world's values and standards blurring those lines between your good intentions and God's intentions? In your daily life, is Jesus first? Or do you kind of just fit him in when it's convenient? Well, we know the answer to that, don't we? Because we're sin, we're, self, we're sinful, we're selfish, we're not humble. So yes, there might be moments when we put Jesus first, but for the most part, it's always a battle, isn't it? It's always a battle between our good intentions and maybe even our bad intentions and God's intentions. It's a struggle. You know, there's something kind of interesting when we looked back on, actually, I was talking to Pastor Gerber about this. He said, there's, there's something in common with your stories. And he said, there's, there's someone that intervenes in your stories. So for Joseph, who intervened for Joseph? An angel to make sure that he knew God's intentions. Who intervened for Saul on his way to Damascus? Jesus himself. Who intervened for my good intentions? A Christian counselor. You could even say Pastor Snow indirectly. So if you're sitting there this morning going, I'm not sure about my intentions. Are they godly? Are they mine? Are they... Oh, this is hard. Maybe there's someone out there you can talk to about your good intentions. 
But we also said, y'all can't come to our office at the same time. Your good intentions compared to God's intentions. It's a struggle. We'll never be perfect. But I've got good, good news for you. God knows you won't be perfect. If you were perfect, he wouldn't have had to send an angel to tell Mary that the Savior of the world is in her womb. If you were perfect, he wouldn't have had to send an angel to tell Joseph that he's going to raise, help raise the Son of God. If we were perfect, he wouldn't have had to send Jesus to wake up Saul to become Paul to be the leader of the way, the truth, and the light. But God did send his perfect son into this world. That humble little baby to save the world, not to condemn the world. You see, God's good intentions are good. God's promises are good. But he does expect us to work on our intentions and then trust in his. As you see, the best intention is yet to come. Jesus is going to come again. God intends to come again to make all things new. Then there will be peace on earth. That's the best news of all. That God's intentions will save us from our sinful nature. And when he comes again, he will make all things new, perfect, just like he did when he created this world until it was broken. Until then, we walk in his intentions and we give it all we got by his amazing grace. Amen.